Hi, I'm Sissy Graham Lynch. Welcome to Fearless, helping you have a fearless faith in a compromising culture. Welcome back to another episode of Fearless. I'm Sissy, and today might be one of my favorite episodes so far. We have a special guest, John Cooper from Skillet, joining me. And I've had many people over the last few months turn to me and say, Sissy, in all this confusion that we are facing in the world, I don't even know who to turn to, who to believe, what truth is. And we are going to discuss that today. What is truth and how can we have a fearless faith in a compromising culture? John Cooper, welcome to Fearless. And many people know John Cooper from the multi-platinum band Skillet. And we all have this image of you, John, I think, of probably on the band. We've all been to your concerts before or to some kind of music festival. We have this image of you and, you know, with fire and everything coming from the stage. And now you're this up-and-coming theologian. I shouldn't say up-and-coming. That's probably like undermining you because you are a theologian. (laughs) And um, most people would have this idea of a theologian, of like an old man in a suit. And I've been so thankful for your voice lately of um, bringing truth to a new demographic, a new generation. And so thank you. Welcome to Fearless. Well, that's very nice. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely not a theologian. I'm getting close to the old man part, but not a suit. N- n- not a suit yet, anyway. <laughs> so for those who are listening, I've only met John maybe once, maybe twice. Not that you would remember. You have a lot of fans um, behind stage. They were at the events from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, Rock the River. Oh my yes. goodness, years ago. I don't even know how many years ago. Um, and I was thinking back at that time, and I've always been just impressed by you and your wife, Corey. For those listening, don't get confused. I have a husband named Corey. You have a wife <laughs> yep. named Corey. I'm talking about your wife. I was just always impressed. You know, I've met so many famous artists, fam- famous people throughout my life. And sometimes you just leave, you're not very impressed with some people. <laughs> right. And I was you're always- supposed to say that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, I've always been impressed by the two of you and because y'all are the real deal. And I remember watching behind stage that you guys were always approachable, always humble. I remember this image of your wife, Corey, really loving on some of the younger women mm-hmm. that were on, y'all were on tour with at the time. It was like Lacey and Flyleaf and your wife really taking the time to pour into them, to pray over them, encourage them kind of along their way. And so that I've just been really thankful for of you guys. Oh, that's so nice. Well, thank you so much. Uh, lots to say about that. I love the the Rock the River events were really cool, right? They they were really awesome events. That was a really great time too. And lots of people uh, getting saved during that during those years. That was gosh, I can't remember two thousand like eight or eight nine. Or nine, yeah. Was, oh, we just said that <laughs> at the same time. So that was a really cool cool time for in my view of the gospel. A lot of great unity happening in the church at the time. It felt like people were really coming together about theology and the, and the word of God. And it was exciting. And, um, you know, a lot's changed since then, but those were really great events. And my wife, Corey, um, is a natural introvert. She does not like the spotlight, does not like being the one talking, but she is a very relational person. She loves people. 
And uh, she's always been the one that has ended tours with like really great relationships with people. Whereas I'm an extrovert and I, I'm always talking and, and this other, but probably don't tend to go as deep as my wife uh, does. So she's a very deep person, a deep thinker and much more academic than I as well. But I'm, I'm the mouthpiece. I'm the mouthpiece for all of her good ideas. How does that sound? Well, like I said, I've just so I've been tracking with you for years, even before this past year. I know you've made some headlines even this year with the pandemic going on and not being on tour. You have a new project called your podcast called Cooper Stuff. And I've been so thankful for the voice. I've had many people right now in the world that we are living in the confusion that's going on and saying, Sissy, I don't even know who to listen to anymore. The people that I've listened to or these pastors that they have followed for so many years, they're like, I don't know. You're a podcast that I point people to. There's a couple of them, the Just Thinking Guys, you, and thankful for your voice. You've also written a book this year uh, called Awake and Alive to Truth, which we are going to talk about that on today's episode of Fearless. So let's dive right into it. As we get started, I want to talk about the very first page of your book, Mm. and that's the dedication page. All right. and. It's pretty special, and it's to your mother. Mm. And I want to talk about that because that is the foundation of this conversation, I think, about. That is why we are here to raise this next generation. And we as parents, it's up to us to set the example to our children of where we find truth, where we're anchored. And Mm. you say something in your book that actually made me teary because I just said those words to my kids. And that is, if God doesn't answer your prayers, our God is good, still good. Mm. No matter what we face, if he takes everything you have away, God is good. Um, tell us about your dedication page. Oh, yeah. that Well, that's wonderful what you just said, and that's true. Um, it's almost echoing the words of Job, isn't it? <laughs> Remember the end of Job? <laughs> uh, when, when God puts him in his place, and he's like, okay, yeah, whatever happens, blessed be the name of the Lord. Yeah, the dedication page is to my mom. Uh, my, mom uh, my mom was my spiritual leader. And my mom was a fanatical Jesus freak, okay? So, and, and I say that, and sometimes I wonder if people think I mean that negative. I mean it 100% positive. Fanatical Jesus freak. Mom, we go to the grocery store. My mom would walk up to somebody she's never seen before and ask if she could pray for them. You know, as a kid, I remember being like, we're going to the grocery and I don't know how long we're going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> my, my mom goes out into evangelism, but... Ever since I was a kid, um, I, can, I cannot remember a time when my mom was not reading the Bible to me. Uh, I had an older brother. He's four years older than me. So my brother, you know, by the time my brother went into kindergarten, you know, I was, I was one. And so my mom would read the Bible before he went to school every single day. And so I just, that's all that I remember, memorizing scriptures ever since I was a kid and, and praying. And so that foundation was so powerful in my life. Um, I gave my life to Christ when I was a kid as well. And so I usually, I like to tell people this to remind people, and you already said it, that our, our job as parents, um, I have an 18-year-old and a 15-year-old, our job as parents is to raise our kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That's our, that's our job. That is uh, the government of the family, if you will. And they will never forget that. And, and it's, it's the foundation for everything that they will do in life, their job, their marriages, if they get married, their parenting, if God blesses them with children, uh, their work ethic, the way they treat other people. Uh, you know, there's nothing that, that escapes 
the Lordship of Christ. And so the foundation was there for my mom. So I did dedicate the book to her. My mom passed away when I was uh, 14. She fought cancer on and off for about three years. So from sixth grade to ninth grade was a really trying time in my life uh, of my mom with cancer and and, and um, chemotherapy and radiation and surgery. <clears throat> and then she she was okay for about 10 months. And then the cancer came back again. And then another year of that. And it was a tough way to grow up, but my mom passed away. But I always remember, she used to always say, John, if God doesn't heal me, you cannot be mad at God because mm. he is always good and he is always right. And all things work together for the good of those who love Christ according to his purposes. So that stuck with me ever since I was a kid. And that just shows you the power of a praying mama. The yes, power. it does. <laughs> <laughs> um, you and I are both blessed that I had the same thing. Saw my mom reading her Bible every day as a family when my dad was home and not traveling. We were on our knees together praying as a family. Mm. I have little ones. I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum as you I got started a little bit later, but I have a four-year-old and a seven-year-old. Oh, and I, I've shared this on my podcast before is that on the days that I do get it done, you know, I can't say it's every day. I get up and I have the Bible um, and I read it before they wake up, but I leave it open even before, you know, even if I'm done by the time they wake up, because I want them to see God's word open. I mm. want them to know, and my little boy, he'll still get up in my lap and I point to it. I just did it yesterday. Austin, what is this mama's reading? And he said, God's holy word. I never even taught him holy. I just said God's word. So that's right. It. What is God's word? Truth, mama. I said, that's right. It's truth. That's right, son. <laughs> I love so it. That's why, because that's the foundation. We have mamas and daddies and everybody right now searching in this chaotic world for truth. Oh, yeah. And that's what we're going to talk about. So your book, Awaken a Life to Truth, that's what you discuss. Why write this book now? Well, you know, uh, I would say this. I've been touring for 23 years um, and with Skillet, which is crazy. <laughs> um, but every time I say it, I feel like that can't possibly be true. It's true. <laughs> well, you just said you had an 18-year-old, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just nuts. Anyway, um, but certainly, I would say this. Uh, around 2012 is when I began noticing, you know, we'd already talked about 2008 and nine, right? It was a really good time. 2012, I was like, okay, Something's happening that, that I don't understand. I'm beginning to hear preachers use words that I don't understand. And I turn on the news. I hear politicians saying things that I don't understand, uh, social media influencers. And I, I recognize something weird was happening, but it's really been the last five years that I've noticed the same thing all around the world. I mean, we tour Europe, Russia, South America, Australia. Everywhere I go, I'm like, oh, this isn't just an American problem. The whole world is full of chaos. And I realized that the world's always been full of chaos. But in my 23 years of touring, it's never been like this before, where people literally do not know what to believe about anything. I mean, even history, we're, 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 uh, we have revisionist history going on. Even, you know, th there's nothing in life right now that is not chaotic that people don't know or believe, whether we're talking about in fact, I just saw on the news, not to get into politics by any means, because I don't even mean this to be one side of the aisle. That's okay. People know here at Fearless, I talk politics quite often, so go okay. ahead. Okay. <laughs> well, I don't even mean it to be partisan. I just mean it to show the chaos. I just saw on the news in the last couple of days that, you know, we've rejoined the World Health Organization 
And now they're saying that the Wuhan, Wuhan virus did not come out of a lab in China. And they're <laughs> sure of it. I'm like, no one knows what to believe. Nobody knows truth anymore about anything. COVID. You know, is like the science changes daily. But yes. I thought we, science was supposed to be guaranteed. Right? You got to follow the science, except the science changes every day. And no one ever apologizes for it. So they're just like, you just have to follow it. It's dogma. And it's okay if the dogma changes. It's so crazy to me. So I wrote this book because I'm I, not just do I see it in the world. Not just do I see it in in public, you know, faces such as Joshua Harris or or people that have become apostate to the Christian church on public platforms, but I've seen it in my friends. I mean, people that I grew up in Christ with that we all thought we're going to be running to the finish Mm -hmm. line together in our lives for the gospel of Christ after 10, 20, 25, 30 years, some of them are like, yeah, I'm not really into it. I'm leaving my wife for, you know, uh. I, oh, I'm, I'm leaving my kids because I don't really believe in Christ anymore. Uh, divorce, extramarital affairs, drug addiction, people that I never, ever thought that would happen to. It hit me in a personal way. And I just thought, I just feel like I need to write this book to say, hey, there is chaos, but there is a way to life. And that is the way um, um, to, to bring order to everything in your life, but it's only under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Everything else is anti-Christ, and it's going to lead you to in, into this chaos and destruction, and it's just so sad. So that's why I wrote the book, and I hope to write it for for um, I call it theology for dummies. <laughs> it's people that, as we were just saying, <laughs> theology is so intimidating. I mean, believe it or not, as it was born into this world with the last name Graham. <laughs> And um, people have this false idea that you, I was just born with all this knowledge and stuff. <laughs> well, I hate to break it to people. Like I have to do my work and study too. And it's just not something that is, um, it's, it's not fun. I mean, I guess sometimes it can be fun to the right person, but it's work. This is right. like hard stuff. What I love about it is that you set the basics for people. So I do recommend, and we'll talk more about that, like where you can find the book later, but I do recommend this to people who want to get started. I think a lot of people out there, you're talking about confusion in the world. There's so much confusion inside the church. And there's a lot of messages coming out. And I have friends that come out and say, Sissy, I know what they're saying is not right, but I don't really know why it's not right. Exactly. (laughs) That sounds familiar. (laughs) So I I do encourage people to read your book because you set it out. Like there's some words out there, theology, even I'll have to like pause somebody's podcast, write down it, Google it. What does this mean? And you set out just clear definitions. Mm -hmm. And because you talk about, we live in this relativistic world. Mm -hmm. Every, you know, truth is relative to everybody, even in the church. Yes. So how, what are some dangers we're seeing there? Well, it is really scary. Um, we really do live in a world. I mean, part of the uh, part of the other reason I wrote the book is because anybody over thirty five years old doesn't understand. Probably doesn't understand that the um, the foundations of the way people think in the world have have actually shifted. In other words, in America and in the you know the majority of the world, especially in the West, over the last however many hundreds of years, we've had a worldview that is understood that there is such thing as truth. It is absolute. It is fixed. It is reality. And, you know, the point of science, I guess you would say, has been to discover what is truly there, right? So that's kind of the, mm-hmm. the, the idea is 
let's figure out how the star, why the stars and the sun and the moon, let's understand how all of this works so we can understand the fixed truth of the universe. Well, that has been the worldview over the, you know, the last uh, several centuries, but we're actually in a, in a place now where that worldview has changed to where there is no fixed reality. It's just your perception of reality. So when we turn on the news and we hear people say, she shared her truth, um, that's not just like young people talk. Because about 10 years ago, I was like, I guess I'm just getting old. And now, <laughs> now young people are using all these weird words like, my truth is this. <laughs> but there's actually ideology behind those terms. They actually mean that you have, you as an individual, well, actually, Sissy, you as a woman, um, meaning your identity group as a, as, a, uh, as a female, okay, gives you an understanding of truth. It's a standpoint of truth that I can't possibly have because I'm a man. So it's almost like you have a version of truth. I have a version of truth. And it, it's not based on actual reality. It's based on perceptions of reality. Well, that worldview is so pervasive and so ubiquitous now. It's come into the church. And now you basically have what I would call, I call it postmodern Christianity, but you could just call it Christian liberalism. You could call it progressive Christianity. You could call it really whatever you want to, but it's all this idea that, well, I can read the Bible with my understanding of truth. That's not the Jesus I know. The Jesus I know would never allow someone to go to hell. You hear these kinds of things and, and you're like, wait a minute, I know this isn't true, but why are they framing it in the way they're framing it? What they mean is, is that I have the right to, to un- interpret the Bible any way that I want to, and mine is my interpretation is just as legitimate as yours or Billy Graham's <laughs> or John Calvin or whoever, because I'm just as important. So it's all in this this weird. I call it postmodern because there is no absolute truth to a thing, and so basically, what you end up getting is basically people that say. Um, uh, Maybe here's a good way to say it. I know I've been rambling, but I hope this can help people. We know that there's two choices in life. You can either choose life or death. You can choose life in Jesus Christ, or you can choose death in self or or anything else that's outside of Christ, right? Science, um, you know, living life for for a political vision. If, If politics has become your God or other religions, whatever it is, there's two rows, life and death. And liberal Christianity has tried to make a third road, which is I choose Jesus, but I choose Jesus divorced from Jesus's own words. It's a new Jesus. It's a Jesus that I create that, frankly, I just like better than the Jesus of the Bible. It's idolatry is basically what it is. So speaking of Jesus, um, you have a chapter in your book called um, Jesus the Lion. And it started making me think, and I don't know if you saw the new rendition of The Lion King that Disney put out like a couple years no, ago. No, I didn't. Oh, okay. See, I have, I use this illustration. I'm ruining it. I'm ruining the illustration. <laughs> fail. That's okay. I think I've probably mentioned it before. Um, but you know the story of The Lion King? I hope, yes, I maybe. do. Okay. So in this, and I started, we were watching this as a family one night and I started crying. And my husband looks at me like, what in the world is wrong with you? (laughs) And it's at the moment when Pride Rock, the home had been overtaken by darkness and evil. And there was desperation in the land. And this lion 
Simba and the music is going and this real line is running back. And I said, that is how Jesus is coming back for us. And that that is our hope because he's coming back in his full glory, his full armor. He's coming back to redeem his people. And it's like, I have a feeling that people have this false idea of who Jesus was. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about people in the church. Um, Do we have this kind of like false identity of who Jesus is? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the the new version of Jesus, I believe is not clearly not the biblical Jesus. It's just a new version that we, frankly, we just like better. And we have have stripped him of all of his strength and we've stripped him of his um, conviction because Jesus said a whole bunch of stuff that that isn't all that polite. You know what I mean? This is the Jesus that throws yeah, You talk over about the, that in your book when you were little, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. When I, that's exactly right. I, when I, basically in the book, in the chapter you're referring to, I'm basically saying when I was in junior high school, I started having these thoughts. I couldn't tell, tell anybody because I was reading the Bible on my own and I was going, man, Jesus doesn't seem near as, as nice <laughs> as people told me he was. I mean, he says some really, he says some harsh stuff. If your eye causes you to sin, it'd be better to pluck it out than to have your whole body thrown into the hell of fire. That's, that's not polite, right? This is the Jesus that, that throws over the tables and says, you know, my father's house isn't a, a, you know, a den of thieves. And Jesus said truthful things. And, and sometimes truthful things hurt people's feelings. It didn't mean Jesus was mean. He said truth, and and he is the warrior king. So I certainly think that we have this new Jesus that we think needs to be more like PC, and he needs to be polite, and he needs to be loving, and he needs to be gentle. And certainly, certainly Jesus is the Lamb of God, and there are those aspects, but he also is very, was very strong. And he said straight words, and we don't get that in, in the church. In much of the church today, we just have this idea of Jesus as being... being you know, sometimes in politics, they call it mealy-mouthed. <laughs> like, well, you know, he's dancing around. It's like when you hear somebody, you know, ask one of these preachers. You, know, you mentioned earlier, people listening, maybe this program right now are like, well, I've been listening to so-and-so preacher, I won't name any names, for, for 20 years. And all of a sudden, he's saying things that are kind of inconsistent with what they said 10 years ago. It's because they're dancing around all the issues, because they don't want to just come out and say it the way it is. Well, they don't want to offend anybody. Don't want to offend anybody. And that's not the Jesus of, of the Bible. Um, the Jesus of the Bible told the truth because it's the truth that sets you free. So in the book, I, I believe that it is unloving. In mm-hmm. fact, I think it is hateful to not tell people the truth and try to dance around it in order to be nice. If Jesus is the truth and anything that is unlike Jesus mm-hmm. is then false, then you're being a false person. And I believe that a lot of these preachers that are getting so weak and and unwilling to say truth, I believe they're showing um, the opposite of love. I don't want to say they're being hateful. They're certainly not saying the truth, which means they're kind of peddling falseness in my humble opinion. Yeah, when you talk about love and pastors, they want to show love. They want to be loving yeah. Um, yes, uh, God does <laughs> command us. Because I think that's become, when you look at Mark chapter 12, um, I think it's become one of the biggest stumbling blocks because it was the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as mm. yourself. And I think 
that that commandment has become such a stumbling block for the church today. Absolutely. Um, that when you love somebody, love, the greatest love story ever told was Jesus Christ on the cross. Why did he go to the cross? Was for you and me for our sin. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't want to talk about the sin. They don't want to talk no. about. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I just think that has been, so talking about that, that love has been, I think one of the biggest stumbling blocks in our church today and the culture today, we have love, love, love. Nobody seems very loving. And you talk about that. <laughs> you talk about that in the book is um, how do we have this, um, the definition of love wrong? Yeah, there's so much to say about that. It, it's um, a chapter in the book. I borrowed it from A.W. Tozer. Uh, A.W. Tozer has an awesome book called Knowledge of the Holy. Um, and it's all about the attributes of God. And it really, uh, it just like changed my life when I was in college. So if anybody's looking for a great book on who God is, just his attributes, um, A.W. Tozer says it wonderfully, but he has a chapter on love. And one of the things he says is that, you know, the Bible says that God is love, but that does not mean that love is God. Um, And I thought that was wonderful. We don't worship love. And so we've just redefined it and uh, and it's really tearing it's tearing the church apart because people don't study the scriptures, and so they just have a they have a secular idea of what they think the perfect love would be, and then they import it into the words of the Bible. You know what I mean? Which is the wrong way to do theology. We have to look at the Bible to find out what love is. And as you just said, people like the idea that Jesus died for us because He loves us, but they don't like the sin part. They don't like the, yet he died for us because God hates sin and, and, and it, he can't be in the presence of it. It, it, it uh, what's the word? It's, uh, it defiles, it defiles his own holiness. There's a great theologian called uh, Charles Hodge and Charles Hodge calls it the, uh, the awful majestic holiness of God. Ooh, chew on that a little bit. The awful majestic holiness of God. That is why Jesus had to, had to die for us because sin is such a defilement to his presence. So I don't know. It really bothers me. You, you just touched on something that I really love that needs to be mentioned. It is this whole, in my view, like bastardization of the scripture that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And I keep hearing all these Christian pastors and, and people saying, we have to love ourselves. We have to have self-love. We can't possibly love anyone else unless we have self-love. And they use that passage to describe what that is. And, you know, it's, it's having a really terrible effect because the world is telling us that, that you have to love yourself. You're amazing the way you are. There'll never be a better you. You know, uh, you're the only you there will ever be. And you have to not have any shame because you have to embrace all your weakness and blah, blah, blah. Well, at the meantime... We have unprecedented suicide rates in this country. Mm. Uh, a lot of people don't know this. In the last 17 years, suicide rates have risen 40%. That's four zero in case people can't hear me well. <laughs> Not one four, four zero. And that's pre-pandemic. They've even risen a lot, mm-hmm. as everybody knows, because of we've all been locked in houses for a year and teenagers are depressed and nihilistic, obviously, but that's before the pandemic that came out. So uh, you just look at society. And when you tell a whole group, a whole generation of people, you're amazing the way you are, and you can do anything in the world. But the truth is, is that they go through life 
and you begin to realize in your heart, you know, you can't do anything in the world. You know, you're not a good person. You know, you're not doing what is right. You don't feel awesome. You actually don't feel good for a reason. And that is because it's conviction. It's conviction of God on your life that you need a savior to then recreate your heart so you can be made new. But we have Christians tamping that down. I, I, I don't know why they would do that. It's the entire message of the gospel. We have, we have Christian leaders going, no, 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 no. Don't feel bad for who you are. While <laughs> Paul in Romans 7 is like, <laughs> yeah, feel bad for who you are. I, you know, the things I don't want to do, I do them. But the things I do want to do, I don't do them. Who will save me from this wicked man that I am? But Praise the Lord, there is no condemnation for those in Christ. That's what Paul says. It's really, this really annoys me because it's ruining people's lives in the name of being loving. Yeah, and there's this theme going on of like, you do you. And, and I'm like, for Christians to say that, like, what? Yeah. No, I'm not to do what I want to do. It's not, it's not <laughs> biblical. But, um, and I think even too, and I mean, John, I know you haven't found yourself at these like women, Christian women conferences, but I don't, um, maybe we won't say names, maybe we will. But I found myself, I went to one kind of like investigating how they were. All these women are crying. Life is so hard. Yeah, life is hard. You know, and like, we need to take care of ourselves. Uh, Okay, well, I need you to give me the meat. Like, I need you to give me God's word so that I can fight these storms. It, it can be my anchor. It mm. can be my storm. Because I think people just don't even know God anymore. Um, mm. I shared with you before, you know, those who are listening, I say this almost every episode, that in Daniel chapter 11, it says, those who know their God will be able to stand in strength and take action. And we see Christians right yes. now not being able to stand strong when it comes to a conversation or pastors who don't, they don't want to offend anybody. And then they definitely can't take action because they don't know God. And I was just talking to somebody whose mm. brother-in-law said they only should teach from the gospels. What? Yeah. <laughs> only oh, the gospels. God. And I know that's something we've been seeing the last couple of years. I'm going to oh. uh, bring up something like that again when I we address your uncool pastors topic. But um you know, I look at the, so many people don't even teach from the Old Testament anymore. And that mm. is where you get to know, you're talking about the attributes of God, that his love yes. for you and how holy he is. We don't get his holiness. It, like, mm. oh, and yeah. that our sinful nature, we don't understand that because we wouldn't be asking these questions of how can a loving God, you know, send people to hell? Um, that we just don't know him. And we got to start studying. Through the pandemic, I just opened up and loved the Old Testament. And um, that's where Mm. I've been encouraging people. It's like, really get get to know God. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. You know, I just, just last week, I I, I did a a 10-minute, I call it on my podcast. Sometimes I'll do something I call a 10-minute talk. So in other words, people don't have to sit there and listen for an hour. And it's just like a 10 minutes, this is what's going on in my life. And I talked about that very thing which is the fact that I actually think a lot of the church split that's happening in in America, and I know people feel that. There Mm -hmm. are people on this side, there are people on this side, and yeah, there's a lot going on in terms of social justice or in terms of liberal Christianity, traditional Christianity, but I do think one of the things splitting us is who agrees that that the law of the Old Testament is actually good 
and who thinks that it's actually bad. And I, I think that that's a lot of what this is. I think that there are a lot of Christians who say we should only teach from the gospels, for instance, who actually think that the law is actually bad, but that's not true. The law is actually good. The law teaches us about the holiness of God and it teaches us about what God really hates. And, and I just said on my 10 minute talk, if, if we didn't have the penalties for, for sins and crimes, we're also, there are two different things. We have sins and you have crimes, which you know are, are, are different, right? If we didn't have a penalty for murder, versus stealing, then we wouldn't know what God hates more. You know, if you put people to death for stealing, but not for murder, that would be kind of strange. Well, how do we know not to do that? Because we have the law and God God gives us an understanding of what he really loves. And if you just look at the law and say, it's really bad, then you can't, you won't really know who God is. But whereas Jesus didn't say, I came to, to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law and thank God we're not under the law in terms of, of penalty, but it doesn't mean that the law is bad. The law is actually good. And I think you're right. I think it's, it's just, it's really depressing <laughs> because um, as you said, a lot of pastors aren't willing to stand strong, but I think it's because they don't actually know who God is. It's almost like a, maybe they stand strong if they understood these things, but all the, all the things happening in culture are revealing to us what the problems are. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like uh, at the end of a summer, if you've ever gone out like in, you know, September or October, you picked up a log and there's all mm-hmm. the insects that have been under the log for all summer long. And you didn't know they were under there and you pick it up and you go, oh my <laughs> gosh, look at all that. That's what's happened in the last <laughs> couple of years. And we're like, okay. We don't have a we don't have good theology of of the Old Testament. It was, you know, I say 2020 just revealed a lot about everything. Mm. <laughs> it revealed a lot about the church Seriously. too. And um I think it's going to be good for the church. I think it's good to this is a moment to point people to truth. And it was um I guess maybe at the end of last year you wrote a post that um I'm going to assume you might have gotten a lot of heat for. I don't know if you did. A little bit. It's called Make Pastors Uncool Again. (laughs) And um, I couldn't like have you here on the podcast and not bring it up. Hmm. My family's been in ministry for years. And um, I don't take anybody Hmm. falling away from their faith or falling from grace lightly. It can happen Mm. to any of us if we're not careful. Yes. And so I'm very, you know, very careful there because if I talk about an issue, I want to make sure that I'm also building up the church and just not tearing somebody down. And I loved, but I loved the hard truths you gave into this. Because let me tell a story um, really quick. Is I remember when I was eight years old and I can remember watching this famous pastor from in the 90s, and we were sitting on the couch. It was just me and my dad at home. And they asked him, it was maybe like on 60 Minutes something, and they asked him a really tough question. And he said, "I, uh, you know what? Don't get choked up on the little things. You know, read the Bible like you're eating fish. Don't get choked up on the bones and the little things. Just take the meat of it. Huh? I knew at eight hmm. years old, like there's great meaning in the details of the Bible, the little stuff. And I, mm-hmm. my dad never said a word ever. He's never criticized, you know, publicly any other pastor or somebody in ministry. But I remember looking at him thinking at eight years old, my dad would not have given up that moment 
to share the gospel. He wouldn't have compromised that moment. And then fast forward, you see it all the time, pastors that are compromising that moment to speak truth. They're dodging the bullet. They are, um, I remember, I'll say the name Carl Lentz, like five or six years ago, was on a CNN um, interview with Anderson Cooper. And Anderson Cooper asked him about homosexuality. Well, that's a really tough spot mm-hmm. to be in with Anderson Cooper and being asked about homosexuality. And I, he said, I don't talk about homosexuality because Jesus didn't. Huh? Mm-hmm. Like, what? <laughs> that was your answer? Like, so we, once again, only, you know, preach from the gospels, but also Jesus did define marriage. So what are you reading? And you read, so you wrote this um, article, Make Pastors Uncool Again, because I think we've all seen this trend of, Pastors are very concerned with their social media numbers, their Instagram followers, dressing really cool, being relevant to the world, because if they're relevant, they'll get more followers. And, you know, I can scroll and I'm rambling here and I want you to do the preaching and the teaching, so I'm sorry. But, you know, you go through your Instagram page and you'll see a 60 second clip of a pastor saying something that was just like really cool, like punchline, like a quote. And there was like no truth in it, no gospel. And you said, um, but for you, you thanked the pastors who do serve faithfully. You said, but for the pastors who are receiving their reward on earth, I have a request for you. Please stop looking for adoration from the world. We don't need you to look awesome. We need you to be fearless and preach the gospel according to the unchanging, authoritative word of God. Stop finding clever ways to evade questions. You know the ones. God's commands about sexual morality, God's authority structure in the church and at home, biblical justice instead of the religion of modern social justice. Answer them and answer them clearly. Oh, well, and you can't get any more clear of that. <laughs> but what is like, you know, that we're, we're kind of maybe beating up on some issues and some things, but what do you say to yeah. people who find themselves under the teachings of maybe some pastors who have forsaken truth? Yeah, it it really is bothersome. And and as a side note, uh, your dad never get he he never misses an opportunity. In fact, I was thinking when you said about the fish not choking on the bones, I thought if someone asked your dad about fish, <laughs> he would turn it into a gospel presentation. We always tell people like, uh, oh, like he'll get it in there, and you're like, oh, that was awkward, but he did it. <laughs> Franklin's not afraid of nothing. Um, no, I I I love Franklin. I think he's fantastic. Um. There's so much to unpack. And, and I think I want to tie something together because you asked me on the last question and I got preaching about the Old Testament. Sorry, and I started rambling No, no, you did else. good. I, I forgot to say what I wanted to say because you had mentioned women's conferences. And it got me thinking of this. Um, let, let me say it like this. My wife says something really funny. <laughs> she said something one time about how weak men have become. And you see a lot of weak past, weak men pastors who get on there and they try to act kind of like they're speaking at a woman's event. And I remember my wife saying, I wish he would just act like a man because men are not near as good of women as women. <laughs> it's like, if they want to be women, they're never going to be good enough. They're just not good at it. So, and I, I just, I thought it was the funniest thing. The truth is, is that men have become weak. And they want to, they want to try to touch on on the emotional issues. And I do think that there are some amazing women's conferences. And the truth is, is that I know so many amazing uh, women. My wife is 
is you're sweet. Totally you're covering awesome. for me right and now because I got myself in a hole. Of <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm saying I, I do think that there's both I mean, because some of the people like that will comment on my podcast. I'll say something I, that I think is pretty clear and pretty hard. And some of the people amening it the loudest are women that are mm-hmm. tired of all the the other stuff, and and all that that stuff is doing is fulfilling these emotional needs. And in reality, you, you're never going to actually get mm-hmm. filled up by those emotional things because God wants to fill those empty places with truth about who He is. You will be most satisfied in going all the way back to what we began the podcast with. You'll be most satisfied in your life, even though you're exhausted and your kids aren't doing good at school, or maybe they're still locked up at home and your husband, blah, 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 and the bills. You'll actually be more satisfied once you come to that place that Job came to, which is, hey, whether I live or whether I die, blessed be the name of the Lord. It's all for his glory. That's what will become most satisfying. But you see a lot of pastors they, they're just trying. They're just trying to make everybody happy. And part of this is social media, the branding. You have to build a brand. You got to say that awesome thing that's going to make somebody feel good about their life today. We've blurred the lines between being inspirational and being a Christian speaker. It's almost like being inspirational is like half the battle, and uh, it's just such an issue. And I wrote that post because I think the most loving thing we can do as whether you're a pastor or whether you're a layperson, is be clear about this. If your pastor is having an extramarital affair, he doesn't belong in ministry. We don't kick him out of the kingdom of God. But shouldn't we There's just redemption. forgive him? Because we're all sinners, right? I know. See, that's and the I'm thing. I'm only saying you that because I'm saying the... that those are the arguments people hear. I know. It's crazy. No, no. We don't have the right to change to change. Um, what the word says about what our leaders are supposed to live up to. There, there is a standard that Christian leaders are supposed to, to live up to. We have that for elders. Um, qualifications is what the Bible calls it. We don't have a right to go change the biblical qualifications just because we feel bad for a dude. And so being clear about the, the standards is like, no, this is not how a man of God acts. We don't hate them if they fall. They're not kicked out of the kingdom of God. They haven't lost their salvation. We all are, as you said a second ago, it can happen to any of us. It is but for the grace of God, a daily outpouring of the grace of God that we can, that we can make it in the strength of the Lord. Man, that, that stuff makes me so mad. You want to know what really Tell makes us. me mad is that it's the same, it's the same liberal Christians that are hashtag me too that are defending people like Carl Lentz. <laughs> They're like, well, you have to, I'm like, yeah, but you're the liberal Christian. You're the one that's always like, we're too mean to people. And you you feel bad for him. What about his wife? What about the other woman that he was living for six months, living a double life with that he's sleeping with and telling her, I wish you knew how much God loves you. Shut <laughs> up with these, the, the, I, 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 I'm over it. And these people go on news things and they mealy mouth dance around the word of God. I'm like, you know, I said in an interview, I said, you know, if, if these pastors spend more time deciding what they want to wear than how they're going to answer a question on abortion, that they don't belong in leadership. That's just the way that it, that's just the way yeah, that it but is. But <laughs> most of them sadly won't even talk about abortion. And that's what, um, no. when you can't stand up for just the, 
the issue of life and because that's too offensive. They'll, they'll talk about so many other issues, but once again, they don't want to offend because one out of four people in their church are guilty of an abortion. Right. But we're to talk mm-hmm. about that because that's when we get to talk about the power of God's love. That, and you know what? Yes. I, I hear people all the time say, oh, I wish your dad was more like your granddad. And I have to stop people a lot of times. <laughs> and I... Let me stop you there. Now, that's actually offensive. (laughs) I don't think Jesus would have said that. I'm like, how do you know what God has called my dad to say and to do and what Billy Graham was called to do? When I have um, have XM radio, my husband gave it to me as a gift for Christmas just so I could listen to my grandfather's channel. Um, He's got a channel. uh, It's 460, (laughs) the Billy Graham channel, and it's just all his old sermons, you know, from crusades and stuff. And you would think he's talking to today's time. Because the issues we're facing mm. today, they're nothing new, you know. Uh, yes. um, you know, just Satan is at the same schemes he's always been at, and um, he might mm. be using different tactics, but Satan is still well and alive and working the same old plan he always has. But my grandfather always discussed people's sin, always so right. direct, very clear. Because why? that led him to be able to share the love of God. You can't talk about the love of God without addressing that. Yes. And that is, um, I just think when people say that, they, they forget who Billy Graham was, or they might not have listened to too many of his you know, sermons because that's what he was always addressing. Yes. Oh yeah, fantastic sermons. Um, you know, I, I, I would say that I hit this subject matter really hard in my book, uh, going back to, because uh, we're talking about my book, um, on my, I believe it's the third chapter. I, you know, sometimes I have a hard time remembering which chapter. It's okay, I'm pretty sure it's the third We're going to tell them where they can find it here in a little bit. Okay. Um, but the, the name of the chapter was called I'm an Original. And the reason I hit, I hit it so hard, what original sin actually is, is because of what you just said. I think most Christians today, especially from millennials down, don't even know that they were born into sin, that they Mm. actually believe that they were born good. It's also why there are so many Christians, um, there are so many Christians that support socialism today because they don't understand that socialism as a political philosophy is rooted in the idea that man is born good. It's the goodness of man that can lead us to a utopia based on our own ideas and our own versions of justice and this, that, and the other. Um, well, there's a lot of Christians that, 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 are, that, that say, well, I think that I'm a socialist because, because you know, we're good and we can do good on the earth. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> let, let's separate the political discussion from the, the- And we've also heard discussion, the but, point that Jesus was a socialist. That's an argument that's gone out. Oh yeah, you hear that. Yeah, all the time, uh, all the time. And, but the starting place for the political philosophy has to be, that man is good at his core. Most Christians don't even know that, no, man is not good at his core. Man is, in Psalms, David says, I, in my mother's womb, I was conceived in sin. But I, I mean, the Bible could not be clearer about how bad off we are and how much we deceive ourselves every day from the time you're a child. There's no escaping that sin. And so Christ's coming, is not just, as you said earlier, it's not just great news because God loves us and that we matter and this, that, and the other, but his intention 
is to recreate us into something brand new. It's the, that is the great news of the mm. gospel is not just that God loves you. He will recreate you unto his own likeness. So I do think that we need a healthy, I just find we need a real healthy dose of like original sin and our depravity. And you don't hear that a lot in churches anymore because it's, it is so unpopular. But, you know, as I said in my book, you have to understand um, uh, how tragic the fall of man is if mm-hmm. you want to see you know, the beauty. I always say you have to understand the tragedy yeah. of sin to understand the triumph of the cross. Yeah, yeah. That's in my book. I wrote that. <laughs> well, um, in a minute, you're going to tell us where we can find that book. But um, as we close, it's funny because, I've, like I said in the beginning, there's so many people out there searching for truth because they know what they've been listening to, the teachers and maybe pastors, influencers that they've listened to for so long. Mm. Like, wow, they're saying stuff that I just mm. don't agree with. And they are searching for truth. They are waking up. Mm. And I, I, of course, have a lot of women who follow. And I say the mama bears have been woken up. They're ready to fight. Yeah, I, and they I are agree fighting that, for truth. And I tell people, you know, I don't rec. Actually, I will say your book is the first book I am going to talk about. Is the first book I've talked about on my podcast because most of the time I don't advocate for other people's books. I tell people start reading God's Word. You don't need to read other people's yes. word opinions about God without reading and knowing God first. Yes. I um, highly recommend your book. But speaking of books, when um, I've been telling people, oh, check out Cooper stuff, check out Just Thinking and some other podcasts I always point them to, um, a man that has been so helpful, he's one of our vice presidents at Samaritan's Purse in our public policy area, and he's encouraged me. He'll say, oh, read this book and read this and read this. Well, you were the first person I was able to recommend to him. I'm like, check out Cooper stuff. He <laughs> loves it. He's like one of your biggest fans now. And he's one of the oh. reasons is he says, John Cooper and I read the same book list. So so tell us, you know, like I said earlier, this can be intimidating stuff. Where do people start? And of course, I always point people back to God's word. I do encourage you check out Awake and Alive to Truth by John Cooper because he will start you with the basics. And I'm so thankful for that. But John, um, what are some of the books you would recommend to get people started? Well, thank you so much. And you are right. I, I do think my book is is like basics of theology, but I, I really am amazed at the amount of people, um, even adults, that never were really taught the basics because a lot of us have grown up in churches where people are just like, hey, we just want to make the gospel practical for your life today, which obviously the, I love the gospel being, being practical for life, but the, the Bible is so deep. It is so, so deep. And we have centuries and centuries of people before us who have expounded on wisdom of the Bible. And so um, I tried to, did try to start on the basics. Books that I love would be, I already mentioned A.W. Tozer. I love Tozer. I find Tozer to be someone that is not so academic that, that I couldn't understand him in, in college, okay? So in college, I read his Pursuit mm-hmm. of God is one of his books that I loved, changed my life. Um, he also has Knowledge of the Holy, which is about his attributes, God's attributes. Another great book on God's attributes that people are like, I just don't know, who is this God? You know, who is the God of the Bible? J.I. Packer, Knowing God is wonderful. Knowing God is probably 
the first book I read in, in college that, that blew me. I've been a Christian since I was a kid. I even, to be honest, I, I knew a fair amount about the Bible. But when I read Knowing God, I was like, oh my gosh, God is so much more awesome than I had even known. It, 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 it just blew my mind. So um, John Piper, The Pleasures of God. That's a really good one. And then if you want to begin to get into you know, deeper theology, I would say, uh, oh gosh, there's so many great theology books. And then you get into stuff that maybe some people would like, some people don't. <laughs> I really some of them are time. difficult. Like I'll have to read a page like two or three times because it can be like really deep. It can be so, yeah. but I want to encourage people because it is worth it. As we start our conversation to raise up the generation, to know what you believe and why you believe it. So you can stand fearlessly in this world that we're facing because they are going to come after us We've only seen the beginning. I think, John, you would agree. We probably can't even imagine what's around the corner because we keep getting no. surprised. And Christians, to be able to stand strong and take action, you got to know you got to know what you believe and why you believe it yes. for the world that's coming against you. John, thank you for joining me on an episode of Fearless. Tell people where they can find uh, your book. Okay, and and, and I want to say I want to say one other thing because you Go, just reminded building. me of this something. Is, I told you we're gonna have to do a couple I would not- episodes, maybe. I know three more because I talk so much. Um, I, I I do not want to make a huge blanket statement, but l- let me say this: when it comes to modern books, I'm not saying there aren't any good ones because I know that there are. But I would be leery. I would be really leery of books coming out recently. Let me tell you one thing: <laughs> I've got a. This is not bragging. I'm just being honest. I have a pretty big following from my band. Right? You know, we've got you're a little a popular. Instagram we know. <laughs> unskillet. And on my personal pages, I've got a pretty good following. I'm saying that because publishers like to make books with people like me that have a following. And so I contacted six publishers about my book and they all went, we really want to do a book with you. You've got a following. And when I turned it in, not a single publisher would publish my book. And I don't, I don't know why, I have to assume it's because truth is unpopular mm-hmm. today. I, I, I am telling you, it is scary because I know for a fact, if I had written a book that just said, God loves you the way you are and you can be invincible, Jesus is nice and, and he accepts you the way you are, I guarantee you I would have had six publishers vying, vying for me to sign with them because I've got a following. So I'm just saying, be leery. Even if it's people that used to preach truth, be leery of the things you're hearing and get a solid foundation in the word of God and go to some of those older books we recommended to help you understand who God is. Okay, so after saying that. Well, no, you're good because at when the when we turn this off and stop recording, I was gonna ask you, why was this book self-published? Yes. Well, you just answered it and I had a good feeling I knew why it was self-published. It's but crazy, yes, tell isn't people it? where they can find it. I recommend this for um, everybody even me, I learned stuff, or even you learn how to put things in conversation with people. Because you might know truth, but you don't really know how to conversation. You do a great job of like preparing people for a conversation with somebody that they would have. Um, But I, for some reason, I just know a lot of young boys and girls, but especially boys look up to you. I think this is a good one. Get your kids, parents, start reading it so you know what your kids are facing and tell them where they can find it. Okay, yes. So the only place you can get it is my website. That was the longest introduction ever to say, that's why it's not on you know, Barnes & Noble or anywhere like that. Only my website. So it's johnlcooper.com. 
If you want to go straight to the stores, johnlcooper.com slash awake. And I've got all that stuff. And then you can listen to Cooper Stuff podcast on um, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, that sort of thing. Well, it's been my favorite podcast to listen to because I probably don't listen to my own because nobody <laughs> listens to their own. No, no. But <laughs> other than Fearless, of course, Cooper Stuff is right up there. John, thank you so much for joining us, encouraging people, speaking truth, especially to a new generation, a new demographic who thought this stuff is too hard and not for them. It's for all of us because we are all in God's army and be prepared to fight. Yes, thank you so much. I loved it. Thanks for joining John and me on this special episode of Fearless. To find his book, I will put it in the show notes. And once again, thanks for joining me. Follow me on social media and subscribe to John's podcast called Cooper Stuff and a Fearless. Give in the spirit